Hello friends, and welcome to episode 3 of So Poetry. Uh, I am, as always, at least for the last two episodes, um, and the addendum, Michael Zuloff. Um, I am currently sitting in the living room slash all-purpose room of Tracy Diamond, uh, who is my second guest ever, which is very exciting. Um, a little... I guess, view into the production side of things. Um, this is my second recording for the day. Um, this is actually like three, two, eh, two hours-ish after my recording with, recording the episode with Anthony Mall. So I apologize if there are any weird pauses when I yawn because I'm tired and this is the most that I've talked in probably months. Also, there is a very vocal cat that's hanging out in the room, so you might hear chirps or meows at some point, or jingles. Um, so that's what that is. But anyway, yeah, so I'm here with Tracy Diamond, who is a phenomenal poet and a fellow uh, circus arts practitioner. Um, but I will let her introduce herself, so talk about yourself for a little bit. Hey, Michael. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I didn't prep for talking about myself. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but I, so I'm a poet, I'm a teacher, I'm an athlete, I guess I can say all those things yeah. in one. Um, I've written a couple of poetry books. I work with Amanda McCormick to put together books and events at Ink Press Productions. Um, and we just pretty much do, with Ink Press, we do anything that can blur the distinction between poetry, um, not just poetry, but the writing, the performance, and then the physical object. Um, and then I also work at the library um, setting up author events. So I do a lot of really fun things related to art. So if there's any anybody in Baltimore, um, two weekends, well, actually, no, probably before this episode goes up, maybe. Um, I don't know. I still haven't figured that out. But anyway. The book festival? Yeah. If you hit the book festival, um, Tracy had a big, big part in putting that together this year. Um, right? The Enoch Pratt Free Library Children's Tent. I was a big part of coordinating. So there's a lot of really great programming with authors that would be of interest for children as young as four up to teen poets up to 18 because we have do more coming um doing a youth poetry slam um, presenting the city poetry team um and then we have jordan goodman from beatwell he's opening up the pratt tent doing his therapeutic drumming um, and then a ton of things in between Catherine Applegate will be there, which for a lot of you that are the same age as Michael and I, like mid-20s, um, she wrote Animorphs. Oh, so, what? Yeah, she has a new book called Crenshaw coming out. Ooh, as part of like the Animorphs no, saga? No, okay. unrelated to Animorphs. Okay, I was actually, um, I don't, this is it's weird that this comes up, but I was randomly reading the Wikipedia on Animorphs about a week ago, oh. just because I was like, I forgot about this. It's a lot... I remember it was it involved aliens and invasions and stuff, but that's a much bigger part of the plot than I remembered it being. Yeah, she's been 
writing since then, this new book is about, um, it's a family dealing with hunger. Ooh. So, and then this cat, Crenshaw, comes to visit. So, cool. It should be a good book. And there's, yeah, there's, gosh, at least like six to eight programs every day at the Pratt Tent. So it's anything you might be interested in. Um, there's a picture book about Julia Child by Erin Hagar. She's going to present from that. Cool. So hopefully, yeah, I haven't, things. I haven't figured out figured out when I'm going to post these things yet, but um, I will try to get this one up before the book fest. So the things that we just talked about, you will be knowledgeable of if you're not already and yeah. go see it. It's September 25th through 27th, so Friday through Sunday. Um, if you go to the BOPA, the Baltimore Office for Promotion of the Arts, if you go to the BOPA website, you can find everything. So you can find the programming for the Enoch Pratt Free Library Tent, the programming for City Lit, the programming for the Literary Salon, all the different stages. You can find the information on that website, and it's really easy to navigate. I will make sure to put um, a link to that as well as a link to Ink Press Productions and Tracy's Tumblr and Twitter um, in the description of this episode, um, just so you have access to all of that. And if we talked about, which I'm assuming that we probably will, like any specific poems or um, like artists, I'll make sure to, to try to get those in there too. But let me, let me write this down. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, poetry? Poetry. Nice. Poetry's great. Yes. Um, so, like I've said in previous episodes, and I'll probably continue saying, for any new listeners out there, or just any any old listeners that don't mind repetition, um, there's a one central question that I would like to ask all of my um, all of my guests, and since it's kind of a big one, I figure we might as well get it out of the way and see what kind of st- conversation stems from that. Um, so the question is, what is poetry to you? Poetry. So it can be so many things, mm-hmm. but when I think about poetry, um, I think about it as a reaction to the outside world. So what's happening outside of your head mm-hmm. and how you take that in. And it's a way you can process that through language, whatever way you want to present it. You can make poetry work for you in many different forms to make sense of that outside world colliding with that inner world. Okay. And then there's a lot of different ways that can happen and a lot of different things that means to me and to other people, but that's sort of the big... What is poetry? Okay. It's that clash of inner and outer world. Okay. So it's the... So poetry to you would be, in a sense, like the... Like the chemical reaction when... Like the result of the chemical reaction when the outer world and the inner world meet. Yeah. So it's like putting a piece of bread in a toaster and then it becomes toast 
Okay. If you want another analogy. So the, the poem or the act of poetry would be the toast in that analogy. Yeah, the, the okay. act of poetry in either the poem or the book or spoken mm -hmm. product, to use that word, okay. is the toast. Cool. So how, if seeing, seeing poetry as that, how, like, how do you personally employ it or deploy it? I employ it. I, um, I pay a lot of attention to everything I'm hearing around me. And I think um, I got this from reading um, poets that take in everything, like Bernadette Mayer um, and... Banu Kapal. Um, I, I apologize for my pronunciation because I have only read her. I've never heard her read yet. Hopefully I will. Um, but they had taken so many things from their outside experience and then it becomes poems and they've paid attention to all these things that have happened to them and all these things they've heard in relation to their identity. Um, and then they write poems where they're not, you wouldn't always look at their poems on a page and say it was a poem. Um, so yeah, to employ this feeling, do you well, have a question? Well, yeah, like what, what would their poems on the page look like? Because I, I don't think that I've... I may have read a couple of things by Bernadette Mayer, but I don't... I can't recall them if I did. Sometimes... Um, I mean, some of them are more, like, standard. Like, you would see, oh, there's stanzas, there's line breaks. Mm -hmm. um, lots of prose poems and blending the essay and poetry. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Do you do any, um, any like essay memoir writing on top of poetry, or do you try to do? I mean, do you experiment around with? Because I've I've read some of your stuff. Um, I've not made it all the way through your. Um, oh crap! What's the name of your book? Which one? Uh, the tan one. The tan. I want your tan. Yes, thank you. Um, I knew it had tan somewhere in it. Um, like I've I've read some poems in that but I haven't made them all the way through. And I know that, um, or at least reading that stuff, it's not so much, um, like I see you flexing with like content and maybe delivery of the lines and not necessarily like the actual like structure or format of the poem. Um, have you written stuff that you've experimented around and like messed with um, like incorporating prose or like super disjointed lines and Somewhat where, so a lot of the earlier poems in the way I organized I Want Your Tan, mm -hmm. um, early on in the book, the poems you read look like poems mm -hmm. more so, but when you start to get towards the end, I... Even if the poems sound, maybe they sound 
similar with the syntax from as it is in the beginning and as it is in the end. Mm -hmm. But they're much thicker poems that um, when I wrote them, instead of trying to peel the language away to make these like poem segments, like these stanzas that are very succinct and really built on um, the sound in them, I let the later poems and I want your tan become more wild um, and they tend to sound more like recounts of things that have happened. Okay. Um, so it'd be closer to um, like automatic or free writing in that sense. Then that it's like that you just kind of let them go and you don't like rein them in or prune them up to be or like prune them down into like a particular like topiary-ish shape. Then. Yeah. Okay. Um, because those, a lot of those earlier poems in the book, I usually start with free writing somehow, whether I'm um, listening to the news or listening to music or at the gym thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of pruning those free writes down, I just looked at the free rights and collaged them and just added and added. Okay. So there's a lot of things. I mean, for the book, I guess I did prune a lot because there's a lot that didn't make it into the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did a lot more adding rather than subtracting. Okay. Interesting. I, I really need to finish that book now. Wow. That kind of reminds me of... Um, there's certain bands that I, like, there's a genre, I guess two kind of intersected genres of music called uh, post-metal and post-rock. Um, so I think, like, Explosions in the Sky would be, like, post-rock, and Pelican or Isis would be, like, post-metal. It's essentially, a lot of the bands are either instrumental or very sparsely vocaled, um, and they do a lot of kind of modal music arrangement where it's not necessarily chord changes, it's just kind of you keep playing the same or like you have certain lines or certain phrases or riffs that you play kind of over and over again but every couple times through you add something to it and at the end you create these huge kind of like walls of real thick um complex sound and you describing your like the poems in the later part of your book kind of sound like that where it's not um you keep adding things and adding things to it to build them up into these kind of walls of like walls of poem or walls of walls of poem walls of complex thought Mm -hmm. um i want your tan deals a lot with um how i experience sexism and how i see it um and a way to explore like dealing with it um as a feminist and there's like it's it's complicated um because it's based on an interaction like the sexism is based on an interaction with someone else right um so yeah it gets it it can get pretty complicated um and my workshop group and some other friends that i would send my poems to and you, like, mm-hmm. reading my poems, too. Michael read, 
some of the poems early on um, a year before, maybe a year before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. I, yeah. You helped out a lot with just identifying key things you noticed so I could, um, if I wanted to pay more attention to one thing or like not talk about something else because right. it's, it's a chat book so it's not long. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So do you, um, we might be circling around for some topics because you, yeah. in talking you, you said some things that I want to, well I mean we'll get to them, but um, do you see I Want Your Tan as a kind of culmination of your style at this time or do you see like do you see that you like your stuff has been has working through your poems and the development of your style and your voice has like led you to this thing or that it's all helped in the development and you kind of arrived at this place and that you will further develop onto something else or do um hold on let me let me start again do you see that your like your poetic development is kind of one straight line where there's like milestones and each thing kind of spurs you on to the next thing or is it much more of like a um, quilted kind of like each work kind of requires its you its own particular style and it's not so much that you're building upon the next one it's like each one informs the other one but it's not like a direct outgrowth of um, like the thing that you did before if that makes sense. Um. Yes, it's so it's much more quilted. Okay. Um, I, I, since, had a, I had a feeling that was what your answer was going to be. Yeah, because it's everything comes from all these different places um, in my life, what I'm interested in, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. Um, so it's much more quilted. And I made the point to have epigraphs from four poets that have heavily influenced me and heavily influenced the writing mm -hmm. of that book. Um, because I really do think poetry is something that comes out of um, being embedded in a certain culture and a certain civilization. So... No, I'm losing my train of thought. But I think, like, everything comes in, and then I filter it out. But there's all these different things that are coming through. So I'm, I don't want to not, um, I don't want to pretend there aren't outside influences. Right. That's what I'm getting at. Right, yeah. yeah. So, and it's, so your poetry, then, in that respect, would be much more like poetry of... The moment or the circumstance that given whatever it was that you've been going through like for i want your tan it's like the reactions to sexism and however the best way for that to be presented is the way that you would present it but the next book might not lend itself to having um like walls of poetry and comp complex thought if it if it wants something else then you would like lean towards that. yeah yeah i would follow that because i don't um feel like I am beholden to any one form. So I would follow um, the form and the content, which could be a different like art mm -hmm. medium. I would follow the form and content as I feel I should follow it. Okay. Um, wow, that's really neat. That like, that leads me to believe, and I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, that um, 
like your work is very um i guess like peace or like collection for lack of a better word centered that like you, whatever your process or whatever your art will be is very much predicated or de like it depends on whatever it is that you're currently working on yeah okay it's it's pretty um based on like an i an idea or an obsession mm -hmm. that i have in my head and then it's get exhausting all of that like sorry i wrote so many sad poems today it was yeah. pretty much all like 70% like in one day and then i texted amanda um about it and i was like i wrote all these sad poems um should that like what do you think <laughs> um, and that was and, that was printed or that was published under ink press yes right okay it's ink press um and then the collaborative performance did you cover up was also very yeah like, that has that did that happen the, the joint thing with you and amanda yeah Damn so it. yeah we oh. performed it um a couple times um we performed it june 3rd at ub um we performed it in atlanta oh shit yeah, because we went down um, to Adam Robinson and Amy oh, McDaniels. Who does ugly... No. Publishing. publishing Adam does Publishing, publishing Genius, Genius and Amy um, does 421 Atlanta. And they both, like, both of them make beautiful books. So Is he still living? This is just not really pertinent Writer to Writer gossip. Else. Yeah. Because he, he was a teacher... Um, at UB and then I think like right before semester started he kind of just up and hightailed it to Atlanta right well it maybe wasn't not, maybe not maybe it wasn't right before I don't know he I know that he was slotted to teach a couple of classes and then he left he moved to Atlanta um he was planning to move there oh okay well um, then I may have only gotten I probably only got part of that story is he still living down there or yeah. okay cool so yeah. if you any listeners in Atlanta um check out publishing genius and 421 atlanta yes okay um two awesome presses by people that i kind of peripherally know and tracy knows fairly well um they're both great they also run real pants which um is a literary blog that has just different beats from what you'd expect cool um like they have scene report um, for though, so writers from different cities will be solicited to say something about what's happening in that city. Uh, um, is that have, what you wrote your thing for? Uh, yeah, so okay. I wrote one for Baltimore. Um, and then they also have things like um, um, there's a beat where you, like, as the author of a book, you share a recipe. Basically, they don't have standard book reviews. Okay. They want to show another side oh. of publishing and of um, what authors are doing. Cool. Neat. That's cool. Um, getting, so, gossip ends now. Um, getting back to, I guess, like, process. I, I wanted to say that it's... So one of the reasons that I, I wanted to get Tracy on here, and I'm going to talk about you in the third person, is if you weren't in the room right now. Um, I'll hang out with Giles. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to get Tracy on this program is because, um, like, she's a she's a phenomenal poet, um, but she writes very differently than I do, and I 
kind of sussed out and intuitive that your process was different than mine, and I I really wanted to like um to just like one of my goals for this thing is to talk to as many different types of people as I can and get kind of a um like a smattering of different styles and different ways of thinking because um yes Giles thank you for agreeing with me um I I think that there's definitely there's um value in being um. Oh, what's the word? Being exposed to people who think and do things differently than you do, and I was, I was, yeah. I've been kind of jonesing to talk to Tracy about this, just because I, um, the fact that it's she kind of is on an, like another part of the spectrum than I am is just, I don't know, was I thought it would be worth worth finding out about. So that being said, um, I think that my process works kind of inverse to yours. So that's not like I am like um the allegiance that I have is to the workers, to the piece of whatever it is that I'm working on, but it those um seem to kind of conform much more to the voice and the aesthetics and things that I'm establishing. So it's it's much more of kind of like a straight process that each thing kind of builds upon itself and reinforces things and um like there've been some things that have majorly um, kind of changed my trajectory but it's been kind of like each each thing each subsequent thing is very much a outgrowing of the thing that came before it and I not saying that yours aren't but it seems like it's like your writing will get tighter just because of like you've had more experience to write and like your your voice and your images and your eye will get get sharper over time just because you've had more experience with it but it's not going to be like your next book is going to have a whole lot of um, direct relation to other than just kind of infor information and development from um, I Want Your Tan, I think, if, if that logic's out. It's a little more of a splattering. Which definitely, like, knowing you and your art definitely makes sense. It's a mess. <laughs> Not a um, mess. And glittery. Can't forget the glitter. Oh, you can't forget that. Um, yeah, because I've always thought of, um, from when we've talked about art and writing process before, mm -hmm. um, yours always sounds a little more meditative. Am I wrong? Um, no, I don't think that you are. I was actually about to, the next question was going to be about your writing process and the fact that I didn't, I didn't realize that you... Um, you generate a lot of your work from free writing. Yeah. Um, so is that, like, like, do you journal as well, or do you just, like, I'm assuming you have, like, a notebook or, like, some, some format that you can uh, compile your thoughts in. Do you also journal on top of that, or does free writing kind of your journaling and you just extract stuff out of that? I journal on top of it um, because I, I feel like I need to have a journal for a lot of the unfiltered things, and um, there's stuff that... Um, like I think um, when some people read my poetry they think I like um, can write about I'm trying to keep the cat off the microphone <laughs> the cat is being very cuddly and very um, uh, dead weight right now yeah um, like I write about a lot of things and very few topics are off limits mm -hmm. um, but I still 
I do have a filter in there of, um, it's like people that I'm not going to name or like right, experiences yeah. that I skew a little bit. Artistic license. Yeah. That, yeah. Artistic Which, license. So I have the journal for, okay. for personal stuff, but then, um, a lot of my process is based in the, based off of free writing. And so I'll either, sometimes I set out to have a really specific free write, like I'm um, free writing to a word or idea, um, or even free writing to a line I've written, mm -hmm. or I'll free write to something I've tweeted. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. It's really cyclical, because sometimes um, I'll tweet something, mm -hmm. And I know it's going to end up in a poem or I'll be working on a poem and I want to check the temperature and see how uh, people react to it. So I'll wow, tweet that's... it because I like I really think about when I'm writing, I think a lot about the audience and how someone will react to what I'm saying. Does that, do you feel like that filters or that cause like that, does that cause your internal critic to like pop up a whole lot if you're, if you're writing with kind of the audience in mind or do you find that it doesn't really affect what you're putting down? Um, in a way it's almost freed me a little bit because mm -hmm. before, like when I was younger, I was concerned like, is this a good poem like mm. how would poetry people like feel about this poem mm -hmm. um but now i i write to um like make to like generate thought more so like i'd rather someone i don't care i don't necessarily care if they like the poem but if they hear a poem and start thinking mm. about something I said, mm -hmm. um, even if it, even if they encounter it and they're a little bit upset about what I said, I would rather they think about it. Yeah. I and mean, I feel like the fact that, it, that it, that it upsets them kind of like, why are you upset? Right. Yeah. It's like you win because they thought about it and it upsets them and they have to figure out, I mean, I know that a lot of people sometimes, well, I will say that there are people out there that will be upset and then they won't give any sort of reflection or introspection as to why they're upset. There's lots of things I'm upset about. Right, yeah. Like, everyone has something they're upset about. Right, and yeah. Like, I... Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes it has to process... Like, you have to get a little distance from it to be like, oh, okay, I was... I'm too yeah. close to being upset right now. I just have to let myself be upset and then I can... Like, if you're angry and, and arguing with somebody, sometimes you gotta, like, let the anger cool a bit so you can think about things and see it not so immediate and, like... Yeah. And it's it's not like a to clarify a little and like no, no, how you ahead. clarified yeah um, no go for it in your other podcast um, it's not to intentionally like just upset people right. but yeah. it's to um, like I I see a lot of injustice for a lot of different demographics mm -hmm. um, based like based on gender race age. And I think that's something really important to talk about. Yes. And like after 
um, the Did You Cover Up performance at um, through Spotlight UB. Um, one of like my favorite things about the performance was all the questions and comments about like these different these different things that people like they felt it and reacted to it and people wanted to share their own experience mm -hmm. it's like that was like the most exciting thing to be able to talk and yeah. start talking with people like okay so like we've all felt this way like there's got to be something we can do so for you for your poetry do you want it to like not just inform or make someone think, but actually lead to some sort of, like lead somebody somewhere? Or like, are you happy with them people just thinking about it? Or would you, would you like some sort of action or reaction to take place beyond that? I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing. So starting to think is really important, but <laughs> we have to. She, we have she to just make made moves. a big shrug at that point, which is why yeah. I was I was chuckling. I don't know how to how to make moves, but like moves have to be made. Moves are being made within the Black Lives Matter movement, and so I'm, um, like I think there obviously there have to be changes um, with systematic racism, and so I'm kind of watching and supporting what people are doing and then kind of thinking like how can feminism also like support that and be mm -hmm. a part of making big changes because there were changes made big changes made in the 70s but now we've sort of hit a wall for a little bit cool i that's an that's a neat um, keen, I don't know, whatever, whatever adjective you want to throw out there. Um, intersection, kind of, or comparative, comparativeness with the way that I write. So I, um, I don't write oh, to yeah. make people think, I write to make people feel. Uh. And so it's like kind of the same sort of, and I guess like when I, when I write, I'm not really thinking of, um, of the audience, it's more just kind of like, I need to get this out of me because it's it's tearing me apart, Lisa. Um, sorry, I, I had to. Um, but, like, I do, like, when I write the, like, it's buried somewhere inside of me, and it's not, like, I don't go into writing a poem with the intent that I'm going to publish it, but as, as Anthony said kind of earlier in the day, it's like, when he writes, the intent like thinking about the audience isn't the most immediate thing, but there is the, the kind of the feeling that this isn't just going to be for yourself. It's like, it's going to be out at, at some point. Yeah. Um, but I think that like for right now, and I guess like I, I didn't really think about this until you, until I asked you the question of, do you want people to just think, or do you want something to happen beyond that? Um, like up until now, I've kind of been happy that if people feel what it is that I want them to feel or at least feel something close enough or empathetic enough in that space it's like that's I did my job 
as a poet. Um, I but, think it's totally, like, yeah, totally commendable. But I don't. It's like, wonder what I wonder what's beyond that. Like, is is it enough to make somebody feel, or is there should there be something? Should there or could there or does there need to be something that happens, like as a result of that feeling? Well, and that's a scary road to go down on because you don't know how people are going to react. Right. Once you put something out into the world, you can't control how people are going to react. Right. Um. So there's yeah I don't have like a main if I. If I knew what I wanted someone to do, uh-huh. I would be working at a nonprofit or like work <laughs> like working um, yeah. in a way where I would be more able to say, "This is the plan. This is the goal." Mm-hmm. Um, working in poetry is more of a I see these things and I'm going to tell you about it. I see yeah, I see all of this. Do you see it too? Like what mm-hmm. what should we do? Um does anyone else feel this way? Yeah. Am I alone here? So that that kind of segues pretty nicely. Wow, these these things are working out. Um like that segues in kind of another question that I've been thinking about um like what that's on my list and something that I'm curious to find what other people think, but what do you feel is the like the role of a poet in like the literary larger literary circle or larger literary culture or society and then outside of that into kind of a society or culture at large? Do you, is there is there one role, is there many roles, does it depend on the poet? It completely depends on the poet and what they want the poetry to do. Because there are still, there are people that just want to read a poem and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, Or there are people that want to read a poem and say, yes, like, the sunset is beautiful. Like, I I appreciate the way you explain the sunset. Mm -hmm. And then there are people that just want to document um people that are writing poetry to get people to think mm-hmm. um there's all these different there's no one role like a poet is just another person so there's no like extra like extra um gosh I'm thinking of the word <laughs> Like there's nothing extra special. Okay. Uh, that comes with being a poet. Like it's just, I see the role of the poet is like being a responsible human. Hmm. Which would be the role of like Everyone. everybody else. Okay. Yeah, we should all be responsible humans, but poets have gravitated towards this one form, mm-hmm. where other people are responsible humans by helping someone set up a four hundred one k. Both, both you and Anthony have take a um, a kind of realistic view of poets. Because he, he, I asked him that, and he said, like he started off talking about how um, 
he doesn't view poets or poetry in the, the same, like in the the kind of romantic idealized light that other people might. It's like the poet is like oh savior goodness. or like the, the um, or even like, I guess you could, he, he didn't, but I, I think that you could extend that out to like art being the thing that will save, like the one thing that will save people. And it's like, not one thing. No. Yeah. It's, um. it's like a, a bunch of things have to work in conjunction with other things to like, to figure shit out and poetry and art kind of as the larger umbrella of that is really just part of it's one thing in the, the myriad things that are out there that could like if everything worked together and coalesced in the way that it needed to could help figure things out yeah yeah there's definitely no one savior um <laughs> you can interpret that in many ways um that says a lot about how i feel about existence um but also like oh i just wanted to comment that um, online interaction is very interesting with people, um, mm. especially the way people approach a poem or poets. Mm -hmm. um, like, so for example, if I'm talking with someone on Tinder and you're laughing at me and I mentioned something about poetry. No, I just, it's the same thing on like, okay, Cupid that, yeah. you know, like someone, the minute, like someone has said like, oh, you're a poet. What a romantic and noble endeavor no no you don't no, rookie mistake guys you lost it or girls whoever people yeah. non-gendered humans the person yeah the yeah anyway um no yeah i think that and what if you if you were to get if you were to throw that out there as like saying like i'm a poet and somebody responds with oh that's like i don't get poetry like what what how would you react to that? Would it be a better reaction to, than somebody who's, who would like romanticize and idealize poetry? Um, well, it depends if the person, if someone says, I don't get poetry, but then they're open to like looking, looking at poems. Mm -hmm. um, because people usually say, I don't get poetry if they've been taught, like they've been taught in school mm -hmm. poems that are 100, 200, 300 years old. Like, poems that they can't relate to at mm -hmm. all. Um, and, like, a cool thing that has happened to me at a lot of readings is after I read, um, sometimes someone will come up to me, and, like, it's happened on multiple occasions, so I feel like it's something no, I can yeah. say. You can, you, can, you um, can throw it out there. Someone will come up to me and say, wow, I've never thought poetry could be that way. Some... Like, lots of times I'll also say, your poetry reminds me of this stand-up comedian that I really like. Mm. Um, and I'm not intentionally trying to be funny. Right, yeah. But um, I think a lot of things about life are very absurd, so I put that in my poems. That's really cool. Yeah, I... Um... There's a book out there called Beautiful and Pointless by, I think, David Orr, or it's either David Orr or Gregory Orr. I can't ever remember. His last name is Orr, O-R-R. -R. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, the book is about kind of, um, like, poetry and, like, what's, at least modern poetry and, like, what does it mean and, like, the, at least one of the chapters deals with kind of the, the stance or the response that a lot of people have to poetry of, quote-unquote, not getting it. And... Um, I've actually had some conversations with my dad about this. Like, I sent him um, 
a couple oh this was earlier in the year maybe around march or so um when when was the baltimore like the first cavalcade of the baltimore uprising was that april like early april april 27th okay so it was, like, it was right around then um my grandfather my dad's dad died and i wrote a poem about it and i sent it to him um because like poetry is a way that i i kind of process stuff so i, I didn't know like what type of grief he was going through um or like like the severity of it and stuff so i was you know, i sent it to him just because you know I, it could help just to see and um he read it and he called me one night um i was actually at whole foods and we i for like half an hour as i was walking around shopping i was talking to him about like the poem and kind of the poem specifically and the, the kind of poetry in general and it was really, really neat, and I, I felt like I did a, a good job of explaining things in a way that he, like, he got it. Because I, I think that most people who haven't, like, I guess, discovered poetry as a, on their own, or weren't forced into it, or were left with kind of a bad taste in their mouth, view it as this kind of um, esoteric and kind of eclectic, just, like, you just, I don't, I don't understand what I'm looking at. It'd be like if, um... I don't know, like an English major was given, um, unless you're minded like this, like, like calc four yeah, like something where you're just like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with, like, what is the squiggly line and why are there two numbers and like an infinity sign on top of like, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, that's really true. And I think it's a lot of just not, not having not approached it in the right way or taught how to approach it. Cause I think that there's a lot of. I think asking like what a poem means is really kind of the wrong question, at least initially, to ask. Because, um, at least for like the poetry that I tend to gravitate towards, it's a lot like looking at um, abstract expressionist paintings, where there's re- it's like they don't really like Rothko. It doesn't mean anything. It's just it's something you're supposed to experience and then just kind of be open to and just let it affect you the way that it's going to affect you, and then you kind of react as that or like after that happens um because there might be like meanings and stuff in it but it's more so kind of what like what you come away with um yeah yeah and people they they haven't if they haven't been given that license right um they will tend to think like i'm supposed to get like there's a like there isn't one message Mm -hmm. to take sometimes which is it can be pretty mind-bending because when even before um before i started the grad program i encountered so this was like probably spring of 2012 Mm -hmm. um i read melissa before Tracy goes on, kind of the same thing with Anthony. Um, Tracy and I both went to UB for the oh, MFA. Right. Um, you started a year after I did? Yeah, I started in 2012 in the uh, Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing and Publishing Arts. And she graduated this past May? Yes. Okay, yeah, so she she was a year behind me, but I, did I, I had some classes with you, right? Were we in Turtles class together? Yes. Okay, so I've had at least one class with Tracy. Um, but, so... Some backstory. Anyway. Some backstory of, like, what school we're talking about. Yes. Um, Um, But anyway, you said you were reading Melissa... I read um, Melissa Broder's Meat Heart and Doretha Lasky's Black Life. 
um, like one after the other. And that just made my brain explode to the possibilities of poetry. Mm -hmm. Because if, I mean, we can go back, like back, circle back a little bit to influence and like when I first started thinking maybe I could write poems, um, it was when I encountered Allen Ginsberg Howell. And that was Uh, such a different, like it was a very like, personal like personal is political approach mm-hmm. which i like believe in um and then from ginsburg i found like bernadette mayer mm-hmm. through sort of like looking finding these different like poets that came through new york and then finding finding those poets that are like nearly a similar age mm-hmm. and writing in ways that incorporate um, experience either in a very personal way or in this like very interesting filtered mm-hmm. through the brain way. Okay. Because um, Melissa, I've read, I've read a lot of interviews um, of Melissa Broder where she's um, mentioned how. Um, I don't remember the exact interview, but to paraphrase, it's like she's like this like pop culture machine that like filters out these oh, different things. Cool. Um, Which I think is kind of because it's not like pop culturey poems at all. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the one of the really great things about um, just like exposure to as many different types of. I mean, if you're a poet, as many different poets that you could find and read, um, or different artists. Yeah. Is just the fact that they give you kind of, or can give you courage because, like, you might be thinking, even if you're not consciously thinking about stuff, you might be thinking of, like, I wonder if I can do this with poetry. And then you see somebody who does something similar or takes a step kind of in that direction. You're like, oh shit, I can do this. Or it's like there's, you know, or they either give you the courage to take that step into kind of new and undiscovered territory, or you can say, oh, there's a tradition in this, and I can kind of, I can see what they were working with and how they kind of got to where they are. Um, I'm, I love this quote from Basho, and I'm going to throw it out as probably as often as I can. The whole mm-hmm. idea of, like, you don't follow the masters, but you seek what they sought. Yeah. So that you will probably wind up some, somewhere in a similar path that they are on but it's going to be your own interpretation of it because you're tracing or you're running after whatever they were running after so you might be heading in the same direction but you, like you were blazing that trail for yourself and you're using them as kind of like reference and you know encouragement cheerleaders maybe or just kind of um like bolstering and keeping up that momentum because like if they got somewhere close you can get there too. It's like if that's where your path goes, you might suddenly veer off right before you get there and wind up in something new. But you know. Yeah, and there. Go for um, late, lay, lay yeah, it out. Yeah, laying it all out. Um, there's this movement, um, or just like this feeling through like meeting, um like, poets at readings, um, sorry, I'm, like, pausing to think about it to make sure I'm saying it correctly, um, take your time, but, so there's, like, a lot of, um, female poets that have been speaking up a lot more, and, like, using poetry to, like, speak up about 
their own experience where like yes everyone's experience is valid mm -hmm. um and there's um alexis pope and carrie lorig went on tour this summer and it was called um i think their tour was like i'm afraid to get the title wrong but it was something like in defense of grotesque woman mm. and so it's like very like bodily experience and very like um vulnerable and powerful type of writing that mm -hmm. like when i'm writing um, my poems and writing about things i see and feel um and have taken in from the news and everywhere mm -hmm. um knowing there are other poets that are also tackling like the same issue in their own way is like very empowering yeah um and they've like they're working from reading people like alice notley and bernadette mayer and like mm -hmm. continuing yeah an exploration. like taking taking that next step deeper into the exploration yeah that's really cool yeah they're oh. both amazing poets. There's a lot of amazing poets that, I mean, if if we had a camera, I might I might throw, camera, throw up a picture of this. She's yeah. pointing at her um, bookshelves that are hanging on the wall. Is yeah. that all poetry? Um, I think that whole shelf is pretty much all poetry. Nice. Um, and I've given like I've given some books away, and donated some books. Um, but yes, yeah, so, like if you come into my current apartment. <laughs> Um, I like I even explained it to you this way when I like first moved in. I've turned it into this like creativity layer. Like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> just books are important to me, and like art that friends and other artists have done that are important to me. Yeah. Speaking of art, specifically of writing, even yes. more specifically of poetry. When did you start? Like, what was, what was your first experience, or experience um, like, reading and then writing poetry? Um, and you can interpret poetry as loosely or as yeah. stringently as you want. I'm going to interpret it pretty loosely. Go for it. Because um, I think, like, if I really traced it back to, like, the first poem, I think Go Dog Go is poetry. Um, and I've, in... And sorry I wrote so many sad poems today. I actually have a poem where I mimic the syntax. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, the poems. Um, that was one of my favorite kids' books. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and the way, um, like, there's a line like, do you like my hat? No. Okay, okay. And they just yeah. leave each other. It's, like, it's super interesting and weird. And I used to, um, like, I would read it to my brother when we were really young. It was probably one of the first books that I could like read on my own. Wow, so that's going um, like all the way back. Yeah, wow. I get, it's pretty far back um, because then like the first printed, my parents were really great about like saving things um, and they had a poem that was saved in Word called Firefly Oh Firefly that I wrote when I was eight. Wow. Um, and it's pretty silly. I have like in my computer somewhere but it ends with firefly oh firefly how you must dine it's like weird and surreal which is cool it's cool to be able to look back at that um but then no we didn't 
I think the poetry I exposed to, I was exposed to in school, like, didn't really inspire me. Yeah, I was kind never... Of, kind of threw a wet blanket over that whatever fire was building. Yeah, like, I never, I never, like, was that jazzed about Shakespeare. And everyone was really jazzed about Shakespeare. Um, can't say I was ever jazzed about Shakespeare. The yeah, Twelfth Night... He's good. It, like... I, th- I think that Shakespeare is one of the kind of interesting or, like, weird moments where, like, the concept is a lot more interesting than the actual delivery of the stuff. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. It's, it's like, it's still good writing, but it wasn't, like, right, yeah, it didn't, something that yeah. I gravitated to. Like, I gravitated to music. Like, Michelle Branch... The guy was trying to write poems, like she wrote her songs, and then like Third Eye Blind, and like late '90s, early 2000s, um, emo, like lots of like Jersey and Midwestern bands, like Fall Out Boy, My Chemical Romance, The Early November, Saves mm-hmm. the Day, and then Motion City Soundtrack, and Billy Talent's Canadian. But like those kinds of bands, which it's interesting that they're all like men mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah wow yeah like i didn't like i didn't realize it until i was older i was like why are there i didn't think about that i just identified with it and then it's like oh wait like i have these feelings but like these are guys like writing these terrible things about women yeah <laughs> some like some of them are really mean like or like people dating women like tell that mickey just made my list of things to do it's like a really mean song lots of those songs are really mean <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, like, gravitated towards, like, the, like, pop punk, like, kind of aggressive stuff. So I think that's why Howl, um, and America were, like, such big poems for me. That makes sense. By Ginsburg. Weird that the first, so, in my development, Anthony's development, and yours, it all kind of started with music. Music. And I think that was just easier to find. It's more accessible, find. yeah. Yeah, like your friends are listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no one, no one in like high school is reading Bernadette Mayer. Yeah, we're all we're all like watching. If, MTV. And if you are, you're fantastic, and yeah. don't don't stop doing that. It's like, oh wow, you're like way <laughs> ahead of the curve. We were like, we like gener- generational differences do matter, and we're all about. So far, like, you, me, and Anthony. Um, oh, yeah, we're all kind of... Like, grew up with the MTV videos, like, TRL mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and then you have friends. Like, you could burn CDs for each other. So you're, like, trying to, like, on the slide, like, before they... Tape trading. Was easy. Oh, I, I, yeah. Not a whole lot, but I remember at least, like, recording stuff off of the radio with my brother. Yes. Yeah. And so you'd miss, like, certain beats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the she art really of, that. like... Fast forwarding and rewinding through things so that you can skip the commercials and like knowing <laughs> knowing how long you have to fast forward something and get to your song that's like yeah. embedded halfway into the CD. Yeah. Skills, man. All the like, all that's dead now, kind of. It, it well, it's changed. There's. It's changed. Yeah. Um, before you just like have to listen to the radio. Right. Yeah. And if um, you if you missed your record. song and if the DJ didn't tell you who it was, <sighs> you were fucked. There's no no like. The app that you can put by the speaker that will like listen and tells you what ridiculous. It's, ridi- it's like super fucking cool, but just ridiculous. Yeah. Before 
before Wikipedia. Funny story. Before Wikipedia, before like song lyrics were all over the internet, <laughs> I like didn't know. Like I had um, liked Saves the Day, but like someone had played it, and I didn't. For whatever reason, like they were never. I guess maybe it was someone that like I wasn't really good friends with, and they played it, and then I was like, "What's that song?" and could never find it, mm. and I was like, "What's that?" Like, um. It was As Your Ghost Takes Flight, the song from... I, I can't No, I can't you. even... Um, it's not through Being Cool because it's the album after that. But as, it was As Your Ghost Takes Flight, but I was just like, the lyrics are about like nailing someone up like in the front lawn, but I couldn't Google it oh. because it wasn't like in the internet. Mm-hmm. And then finally, like I figured out what album it was i'm just gonna feel really silly because it's one of my favorite albums and i like can't you know when you can't remember the title of something i'm trying to think it'll it'll come to you right at like the end of the end of the conversation i can tell you the track listing and i can't tell you the album title um so when did you start writing i don't i don't mean seriously as like dedicated serious art but like when did when did you first start really getting into poetry as a as a major artistic endeavor um when i was in i think as like a as a major artistic endeavor in college i found out so this is maybe like 2008 Mm -hmm. found out you could take a class in creative writing (laughs) um what did you major in in college or what did you finish up I double majored in history and communication so that kind of is why I'm so into like I really care about like what's happening um, impression management and like all these sort of different concepts I like bring them into poetry that's really cool Um, thanks yeah I was either going to before applying to get the MFA I was trying to decide if I wanted to go get a history PhD or like a communications PhD or get a library science degree communications yeah how do you think all those textbooks are written and like oh I thought honestly thought you were pointing at your cat for a second I was like I yeah okay communications PhD there you go how do you think we have cats you can there's all these different theories of how people communicate um and why that's important and then people like study the application and they use mm. um research methods like yeah so yeah okay. you can get a phd in that I, um, I didn't i didn't mean that to be to sound incredulous and i hope that it didn't it was just mm-hmm. i there's a lot of there's a lot of things out there that cause i guess because like communications for me is such a such a broad field i didn't realize that you could like i mean i guess english is kind of too but it's like of the liberal arts it's kind yeah. of you know it's like you're dealing with I mean, hit like thousands of books and authors and stuff, but it's kind of like a, its own little subset or like history too. And communications, I, it seemed like there's so much that you could get. Yeah. I, I didn't realize you could become just like a like a doctor of communications and not like some. And it's all, um, it depends on the program you go to and how they label it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of programs are becoming much more interdisciplinary because the disciplines do affect each other and Mm -hmm. it's like the history 
humanities, the history that um, as much as I could, I was taking like 20th century history because I was really interested in the intersection of history and technology. Well, and I still am. But. Which would make sense with the communication stuff too because that's like how information is disseminated now is so radically different. Like even in the last the last 20 years, like from the 90s until now, it's like the information dissemination and the way that we communicate has changed so much. Mm-hmm. The... um. I always really enjoyed taking history classes, and there was, I think I may have mentioned this on my, the first episode of my podcast, but there was a teacher that I had at UL named Dr. Chet, um, I think it's Chester Radkiewicz, I, he was, he's Polish, um, so it's one of the crazy last names that has like C's and W's and J's all kind of mashed in next to each other, um, but he taught, uh, his specialty was Russian history, and he taught it as like, to understand why this thing happened, we have to understand what else was going on. Yeah. And, like, kind of giving as much as he could in the kind of limited time and scope that we were looking at, giving you as, giving, like, the class as much of the peripheral information, the context and the circumstance. Because for him, it wasn't, like... Matt. Yeah, and it's not just, like, knowing that, like, Franz Ferdinand was, ex- was assassinated on this particular date. It was more like, okay... Why? Yeah, why did this guy decide that he wanted to do that and how did that cause world war one and like what were the other conditions that were taking place at the time that allowed world war world war one to develop or to happen out of this assassination and like i whenever i took i took two i took a, a full year like two semesters of russian history so it was wow. like russian like russia from before it was russia to like the cold war and then cold war to modern times or maybe maybe it was world war Two. um but I've never felt so, like, taking those classes, like, being able to mentally connect stuff and see the connections between things, I've never been more in that mindset than I was when I was in those two classes because I was like, all these things are interconnected, and it's, um, like, with the, um, like, current kind of political fiasco that's happening, um, and just kind of the state that we're in and seeing... Um, you know the um, the tension out the not outbursts but um, like the tension snaps of um, the African American community and like the police and like like ISIS and the stuff that's, hap- that's happening in the Middle East right now um, like maybe not directly but like all of that stuff is kind of interconnected and I was when the the, the Baltimore uprising happened. Um, it was interesting. At, I work at a cabinet shop, and we have NPR on all day. And it was interesting to, to hear some of like the the commentators and the people that uh, like Diane Reem or um, Dan Roderick or would have on their shows to talk about kind of what's happening and um, like the people who saw it as kind of like this issue or this issue, and not the fact that it's especially with like the Baltimore uprising. It was a bunch of different, like really nuanced and subtle all of these things that are kind of roped and coalesced together that just kind of, you know, reach their tipping point or kind of, like, yeah, broke out. And Economic and education. Yeah. Like, like when you don't have access to so many things. And, yeah. like, the, and, and like, the prison no system way. and then, like, oh, police, like, yeah. the broken, um, broken glass, broken window policing where it's, like, super cracked down on this stuff. And um, 
like you things don't that crack are crack down on other populations. Right. Yeah, and it's like things that are being perpetuated, and the fact that um, you know, like with the African American community, it's, it has never gotten kind of out of the like institutionalized racism that is that they were, you know, their a lot of their ancestors were brought to the United States under. It's like that's always kind of been and around. Segregation, like segregation. It was mandated by courts to desegregate, but then people moved and just did things right, yeah. to. Or on the converse, you have like gentrification now that's, you know, kind of the opposite. I mean, people like affluent people moving into kind of poverty or like lower income um, neighborhoods and kind of fixing it up and driving essentially all the people that used to live there out of the way because they can't afford to be there anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like, and it was just, it was interesting to see that, to begin to see that it's like all of these things are connected and all these things are, inter are intertwined and how many, how few people saw it or saw the uprising as kind of a result of, of all of these different things and viewed it more yeah. as like, it's this one thing. And not, not to, to sound cynical, but it seemed a lot of it's like people were part of organizations that dealt with like certain specific things. So they were using, you know, like coming out saying that like the protests like were very much as involved with this, you know, to, to not, to, I don't know if it's like the lead credence to their, to the cause that they were fighting for, but to kind of put that cause in the, the forefront, because that's probably what they were most experienced with, because that's what they were, you know, fighting against or trying to push back, you know, like poverty or education or, um, like the broken justice justice system and um, I don't know it's all connected it's everything's connected yeah and there's no one quick fix but if if you can acknowledge that it's all connected and then start yeah. making changes and it's not easy changes and it's changing mindsets too um which like, no you go ahead um well, transform like really transformative learning um, is really painful if you've had like very deep setted beliefs. Yeah. So, and I think that I think that art can definitely have a role to play in that because it's like presenting these these experiences in such a way that it it can bypass a lot of the kind of intellectual um, boundaries and dams and moats that people throw up. And really kind of get to the heart of stuff where it's like it makes you feel and there are very there are fewer things that you can safeguard against feeling something because a lot of times it's kind of like an involuntary reaction to something You're like oh shit i i'm angry about this or um like using rothko as an example again um, i've heard a lot of stories of people going to the the chapel in i think houston um where it's just i think it's in houston but it's a chapel that it's like three or four huge just like purple color um, palettes that he did that I've heard many, many stories of people going in there and after a couple minutes of sitting there just break out into tears because it's just that yeah. powerful of an experience. And it's, you know, you don't, I don't know. It's like if you're expecting something, you might be able to safeguard against it. But I think there's a, I think that art has, can have a role in like breaking some of that stuff open or at least, well, like getting people to talk about stuff. If people approach it with an open mind, because yeah. you can go into, you can bring 
a piece of writing into a workshop setting and then people will tell you your experience isn't valid. Yeah. Um, and they'll tell you it's, it's not that way when mm-hmm. they haven't lived your life. Right. Um, that's also like, uh, that's a frustrating thing. Yeah. And people have, um, I don't know, like some other people have like either heard me read poems or read some of my poems and said like, and they're not like the things that have happened aren't even, they're not even like very extreme, mm-hmm. but they're like that, like people actually like act like that. Like they'll ask, they're like, are you sure that's mm-hmm. real? I'm like, yeah, it definitely happened. Like, yeah. It's either happened to me or. Yeah. If somebody, if somebody's expressing something to you, um, or like, lying. or yeah, or like emoting something. They're like, trust that that's what they feel. Like, don't don't try to to minimize or um, discredit that because I don't know. Like I like I would generally trust emotions more than like an intellectual response because I I feel like emotions are usually kind of involuntary and it's like they might not be the best thing to feel, but they'll definitely kind of give you a pretty good. Um, like litmus test to figure out like what it is that you feel and then it's kind of up to you to, to, to trace that back to its source to yeah. see it's like is this a healthy response like where is this response coming from like why am I suddenly upset or angry about this thing that I don't feel like I should be and you know yeah so there's a level of like self-reflection that you have to go yeah. through which I think going way back to like making people feel stuff um, with my poetry I I would like to think that there's some self-reflection that's involved with like, you know, um, a lot of the poems that I've been writing lately have been, are kind of like lonely poems, which mm-hmm. I blame on listening to a lot of, um, bright eyes and reading Charles Wright. Cause that's, Oh yeah. You, when you pair like either one of those guys by themselves is lots of heavy kind of melancholic, lonely stuff, but put them together. It's like, I, I, it's just, I'm, you know, lots of moons and, you know, clouds and night and stuff. Um, can we pause it? Oh, yeah. Ah. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. And we're back. Um, not that you would really notice, since it's going to be an almost instantaneous return. Um, yeah, but anyway, so, um, like, a lot of the stuff that I've been writing is lonely, and I would hope that people, when they read it, and they, like, feel lonely, too, they can, like, investigate that. Because um, I've been... Um, feeling kind of loneliness and avoiding it a little bit and then in the last couple of days trying to just accept it and just allow myself to be in it and just see what happens and um Roka in his letters to a young poet at one point was talking about um like you the the guy the young poet was writing to him and asking him a bunch of questions and wanting to get answers and Roka was like just you'll get answers eventually it'll take time just like live in your questions right now it's like let let them just kind of be what they are and um inform you and guide you however it is that they that they guide you um and that's what I'm, what I'm trying to do with the loneliness right now but i would hope that in people reading this and they get that pang or they get that kind of they feel it you know in their they feel that night spreading out in their heart they're like oh wow and then would cause them to kind of or like invite them into that space into into because like maybe it's something that they haven't experienced before, and I think that similarly with your po- with your poetry, like maybe it's a thought that they've never had before, and um, 
you know, I would hope that if somebody reading or hearing you perform, reading your poetry or hearing you perform your, your work, would sit there and if they got a new thought that they've never gotten before, they wouldn't let it just go, but they would, you know, explore it a little bit and see kind of where it, it leads them. Um, which, I don't know, like as a poet, maybe the most that you can hope for unless you're writing um, poetry with a very particular end in mind. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. Okay, so you're an athlete and a teacher. Um, do you do any visual art work stuff? Um, this is building up to another question. Yeah, I was building just... up. I like. I do some collage and like play around, um, just with like paint and color, but nothing. It's more like play and like working with other materials and okay um do you feel yeah. like or do you see any um any correlation between um like poetry and the other like for lack of a better term like creative endeavors that you do including like the the kinesthetic endeavors like running and like circus arts like is there any correlation or, or overlap or influence like one way or another that you experience or that you feel yeah i mean just from either like going on a run and that affecting my mood um or like going through different materials i have to collage will like sort of loosely affect um the emotions that i might be trying to hit in a poem or like a really Something that I really noticed after starting Silks and Lyra um, was that I was much more confident in my performance, like in readings and in my writing. Oh, nice. Yeah, because um, I think, like, lately a lot of what I've been thinking about and, like, conversely writing about is just... Lots of it is, like, stemmed from this, like, having a body is, like, really complicated and tough. Like, there's all these different yeah. medical things that happen and the way people perceive you mm -hmm. by your age or way of dress or perceived gender, like, that complicates how you exist. Yeah. I was actually, I saw a Tumblr post today about, um, like, people living with or struggling with kind of, like, invisible diseases like fibromyalgia or, like, Crohn's or lupus or things that aren't... Um, that just looking at them, you wouldn't know that they're sick and how that, like, finding out that they are dealing with this illness, like, how that changes the perception of other people and, you know, like, the the context in which they kind of live. Yeah, it cha like, it changes the context where someone, um, some physical pain is, like, very obvious, but then some physical pain isn't. Emotional pain is not so necessarily obvious either unless it's manifesting mm -hmm. physically. Um, but like with, with the aerial arts, um, I was able to like take more control of like my own strength. Um, that's really awesome. Yeah. It was really cool because I mean, I like swam my whole life and like swam at the collegiate level but I was always battling different injuries and had um, 
a pretty catastrophic injury when I was 19. Um, that like made me like really think about mortality all the time. Oh shit. Um, I mean, I don't think I do that. Oh yeah. So I had, I had a blood clot in my shoulder when I was 19, like out of the blue. So that was like a very scary thing because, you know, at first when they're like, not sure why you have it and then they're figuring out why and they're telling you all these things they have to do it's like your body is completely out of control Mm -hmm. um and you're trying to like have control by like swimming and training in these certain ways to like achieve goals um but like approaching ariel was very different because it was um i guess it's self set goals Mm -hmm. um and maybe i've just approached it in a better way um well i think that there's also i mean i everyone's really fun there yeah oh yeah i definitely think (laughs) that you should tell kelly joe what you just said about that doing the aerial stuff the circus arts has helped like helped you take control of your power or like reconnect with it yeah um but i also think that um with the aerial arts aerial arts there's no pressure. It's easy to say just like, fuck it, I'm just, I'm gonna give this a shot because there's nothing really, like there's nothing riding on that. Like you don't, your scholarship's not bent on that. You know, it's, you're not, um, there's not other teammates or anybody like relying on you to, to do well for something. Um, and I've noticed um, that when, if you can take that mentality of just kind of like, like play, it's like there's, there's no, I'd recently painted two small like small in the sense that like the canvas was maybe like two inches by three inches or like three inches by four inches. Um, like I was just kind of messing around and they, both of them turned out fantastically well, kind of against my, um, I don't know, going into it. I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And they, I, they turned out really well, but there's, there's that freedom that comes in when you're like, I have nothing writing on this. I'm just going to fuck around and see what happens. And yeah, like that's, that I think in and of itself can be a really empowering thing that, you know, it's like, I, I, in a, I inadvertently auditioned for a play like that when I did, um, yeah. uh, The Shape of Things. Um, I had gone to the audition inten- uh, intending to tell the director and um, the, I guess like the producer, the executive producer that I, I didn't have enough time to do it because it was the start of my, like my final year of the thesis of um, the MFA program, that was my thesis year. and. So I was like, yeah, I don't think we're going to have time. And like, all right, well, you want to just stick around and read just so we can have some people to, like, read so we can sell. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I got up there, and I just, I had fun. And I ended up getting offered a part. And I was like, yeah. okay, fine. But it was just, like, none of that pressure, none of that anxiety that was there. It was just kind of like, I'm just going to kind of do whatever. Yeah, you discover a lot. Um, I'm sure if we were doing it professionally, we'd feel a little different. Um, oh yeah but like yeah all the things you discover is really interesting about like what your body can do because it's like strength and flexibility Mm -hmm. um because you you ran with me last week Um, well i guess this would be like two or three weeks ago at this point oh this might be like a month ago by the time this goes up maybe a month ago but at the time of the recording it was like last week yeah it was late august but i'm super intense about almost everything um i just like i don't i'm like very all in mm-hmm. with everything i do and um work really hard lots of times to the point of like 
had a lot of, I mean, just not even the blood clot, but just like overuse injuries because I'm just like, I'm going to push a little harder. Like, yeah. We actually, happens. we actually talked about this towards the end <laughs> of the run. Um, that I, I've learned where some of my limits are and I'm very, very comfortable getting to that limit and not going beyond it just because most of the time the limits, like I don't have to push, like I don't have to push myself. And if I'm, there's no outside impetus that's requiring me to go that extra little bit. I might test it, but I'm like, eh, no. Um, which is another interesting difference between, like, and I, I, I don't know. I would like to talk to you at length about this later, which might be another episode of this podcast or just, um, like, I, I think people are going to rotate through once I talk to enough people. I might have my regulars. Um, but just, like, how that manifests in your writing and, oh, like, you your, should, in your process. And, you should bring Dewey into that too because oh, yeah. we've had like extensive talks about like she means dewey fox dewey who's fox. a fantastic fiction writer located in baltimore just yeah. also just graduated from the mfa program but anyway yeah i mean the um and he wrote like a really interesting essay about this blending um writing process and um i think it was a, a like a baseball things Ooh. facts um because it like You, when you're, um, like, an intense athlete, like, you can't turn that off. And so, like, mm-hmm. you approach it, you can, like, I approach art in the same way, where it's just, like, test the limits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different because it's, like, mental test. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, mental, like, letting go of fears, where it's, like, I'm going to write about this because it's something that, Terrifies. I don't want to write about it. Yeah. It's a little terrifying, so I'm going to do it. Um, Which is a very good practice for you young writers out there, or old writers, or in, like intermediate writers, whatever. Writers. Writers. Go with that. Um, it's a really good practice to pick a topic that terrifies you or makes you uncomfortable or um, like, and just dive into it. Um, like maybe won't result in something that's publishable, but it will at least get you somewhere, like open up some space inside of you that will hopefully be of value at some point in the future. Yeah. So we are well over, well, close <laughs> to like an hour and a half. Um, so I think it's probably time to about wrap things up. Um, uh, yeah. I think I'm gonna get into the habit of um, asking this particular question at the end of um, my interviews or my conversations. Do you have a question for me? If not, it's cool. If you have a couple of oh. questions, it's also cool. It, it, um, anything that you want to ask me, I'm, I'm open. I'm game. I've asked some stuff. I like that you like share your thoughts while we're talking, because um, it's like we're talking in the book arts room. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I was joking around with Anthony on Twitter about this, but I'm really considering, like, and I, I mentioned this in the first episode, that I've had many conversations like this. Like what we're ha- what yeah. I'm having with Tracy right now, and, and what I had with Anthony, what I'll have with other poets and other artists and writers and just people. Um, like I have these all the time, and I've just never recorded them. So I'm seriously considering bringing my computer and my microphone with me wherever I go, and just whenever the stuff happens, just like take it out and record it, just so I can have it for posterity or like yeah. guerrilla podcasting. Um, but well, thank you. Uh, yeah, and I did I did write down a question. Okay. Um, 
You can answer it however you want, but okay. I wrote it down when I was listening to um, the follow-up to your first podcast. Um, I wrote down, where do you feel youngest in your art? Oh, that's a good question. Wow, I might have to... I'm going to jank <laughs> that question from you. Like This could be an essay. <laughs> and yeah, you can interpret young as you please. Um... I actually kind of feel young in all of my art. Um, like, I've been writing poetry for a long time. Um, I would argue personally that my poetry hasn't really been good until relatively recently. Um, I've also been playing music for a long time. But um, I guess kind of conversely with Tracy that I don't really super push myself. Um, I There are certain levels that I've reached with with my writing and with my music, um, that I'm not entirely sure how to how to get beyond where they are, and there's there's so much space and so much like so much ground that I can see after that I need to cover or that I would want to cover, and I'm not really sure where to go. Um, I guess literally, I probably am youngest with um, cello. <laughs> Because I will, I will start taking lessons with that, but it'll be fun to be kind of, um, to be a beginner again, at least in some respect, of learning some physical, like, new physical thing. Because the last, the last time I was really a beginner with something was with Ariel, and I've, that's, like, two years ago, almost, that I've, I've been, that, that I started taking it. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's still, I think I probably feel the, the most not the youngest, so I guess the most advanced or the oldest with haiku, with haiku, even though I haven't been writing it a whole, a whole super long time. But I've done like the most, like outside, outside research and um, just like looking into and development of that. Um, and like the rest of my poetry is just kind of, it is what it is. And my music kind of just is what it is. And um, yeah, I don't like, I've always kind of chalked it up that I have a lot of different interests and a lot of different things that I'm curious about that I'm like literally like a jack of all trades and a master of none. That's, there's just there's so much other things that I, I want to do or that I'm interested in that I don't I don't really have the time to specialize um, or I guess maybe the desire to specialize because I don't like I mean I did that with poetry for a little bit I kind of cut out music for a while. Um, but, and I mean, there's always a chance I might go back for a music degree, so I might have to cut poetry out for a little bit, or at least let it take a back burner, but, and I guess painting too, I mean, I just started doing that, and I, um, I don't know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I can blend colors pretty well, apparently, but, Ooh. yeah, I'll show, after the podcast, I'll show you the picture of the, yeah. the two paintings that I did. Yeah, you Um, me. but that, that is a super, super good question. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think keeping that like newness and freshness and um it's like being open to the changes like that's mm -hmm. part of something that if you don't actively seek it like you're actively seeking it you like lose that yeah yeah there's like what if if you're if you're doing an art or doing kind of whatever um like let yourself be a beginner for a while and approach it as like 
like not with frustration and not like oh I've this, there's some place that I have to be or some place that I have to develop to where it's like like Rilke with the questions like let yourself be in that place mm -hmm. for a while because like that's a really unique place to be that you're you're totally fresh to something because um, like you will only ever learn more things about something you I mean unless you get like a um like a mental or um, like brain uh, disease or ailment that causes you to forget about stuff. It's like you only ever not, you only ever know more about stuff the longer that you're dealing with it. You'll never know less about something the longer that you're, well, I mean, maybe like physics and how like, like the universe forget. works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might lead you to more questions, but you know, it's like you're still, you've covered that ground and you're like, you understand things up to a point and it opens up a question and then you follow that question to like wherever it is that you're going or, um, like big picture, you might realize that you don't know shit about anything when you hit certain milestones, but in the process, you will find out stuff. You'll learn things. You'll learn. I have a good quote. Um, lay, lay it on us. That. Um, if you're a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, you're laughing at me. No, because I, um, I, that's it's wonderfully one of the apt. greatest it's, shows. Yeah, it's wonderful. Real, like, laughing and appreciation, not, not at you. Yeah. Yeah, it's lots of exploration. The characters change a lot. They grow a lot, learn a lot. Um, but in um, the season finale for season four, um, there's the line from Tara's character when she's like alluding to Dawn and Glory. Mm -hmm. um, but it's sort of the whole, over, it touches on the overarching, arching, overarching theme. Um, you think you know who you are, what's to come, you haven't even begun. I think that's a very good place to end. Um, I might I might have to print that out and put that somewhere in my room. Um, but yeah, so this is episode three. Thank you very much, Tracy, for, um, for talking with me for like an hour and a half about poetry and poetry-related things. Thanks for having me, and thanks for listening. Yeah, all of the people out there, thank you for sticking around for well over um, the time limit that I set for the other couple of episodes. This, these things won't be more than two hours. I can at least promise you that. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is, this is episode three. Um, I will talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye.